Friends, colleagues, and vessels of disease, welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are delighted to introduce to you Kaylee Byers. Kaylee. Oh, hey. Kaylee, do you want to tell us where you're from, what you're doing? Sure. Um, So I'm a PhD candidate here in uh, the Department of Interdisciplinary Studies at UBC. Um, And... Uh, I'm originally from Alberta, the quote-unquote rat-free province, which we can talk about that later, whether or not that's actually true. Um, and I'm a self... That <laughs> that's, I think that's a, that's a teaser for the myths and misconceptions right. towards the end here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a self-proclaimed rat detective. So my thesis is centered around um, understanding rats and their ecology and their potential impacts on human health. Awesome. That's I, I, I'm excited because this is something that we... Uh, I, I know absolutely nothing about, and so that's it's going to be cool to me. You know me. nothing about urban rats. I know nothing. What are you about doing with rats. your life? <laughs> Can I ask a question before we get into this? Why not rural rats? <laughs> Why not rural rats? <laughs> What's wrong with rural areas? I, I mean, that's, I mean, rats are also a problem in rural areas. They consume yeah. crops like wild, um, mm-hmm. and they still carry diseases in rural settings. But here, the research focuses actually specifically on the downtown east side. So um, it's more the population of people at risk that we were concerned about. So that's right. why it focuses um, here in urban settings. All right, and downtown east side is specific. Vancouver for anybody that's not familiar. Yeah, so yeah. maybe, uh, Kayla, you could just give listeners that might not be local to Vancouver, mm-hmm. what is the downtown east side? So um, the downtown east side is our downtown area, and it's a it's sort of an interesting area um, in that there is this issue of gentrification in an area that otherwise houses a number of marginalized groups, um, but it's also the sort of... Uh, the source of some amazing social justice work. So we've uh, worked a lot with the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users in the downtown east side. Um, and uh, there are a lot of really interesting housing initiatives going on there. So um, we focus our work there because people in the downtown east side may be more likely to come into contact with rats due to either being outside more often or because of housing instability in that area. Perfect. Yeah, the downtown east side is, is like you said, a, an area where marginalized groups tend to sort of, I don't want to say congregate, but sort of amass. Um, yeah, perfect. Excellent. Um, really quickly. You said eco- we're going to define some terms here for us. Oh, God, this is like my nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> you used uh, ecology. What is ecology? Tell me what you think ecology is. I have no idea what ecology oh. <laughs> is. <laughs> okay, so like real baseline. So we're talking yeah. about organisms. When we're talking about ecology. We're thinking where do they live, uh, basic behavioral things. What do they do? What other organisms do they interact with? What kind of foods do they eat? So think about you in your everyday life going about your thing. What are you eating? Who are you seeing? What are you doing? That's your ecology. Hmm. My ecology... I think I eat pretty well, so I don't eat, like, garbage rat food. So, <laughs> Plus Well, uh, rats are eating your food, so if no. you think rats God, are eating garbage, you're also eating garbage. <laughs> you are what you eat, I suppose. Um, so so what about these rats are we talking about, and why specifically the ones in east side, the downtown east side? So um, maybe I'll, I'll take a step back, and I'll tell you maybe a little bit of the foundations for the yeah. research that I do. Perfect. So um, back in 2010-2011, Dr. Chelsea Hemsworth, who's now a professor um, with the School of Population and Public Health here at UBC, realized that there was very little work done on the diseases carried by urban rats. So rats are famous for carrying lots of diseases. We typically think of the plague, right, and then Mm. traveling around the world on ships, distributing the plague as they go. Um, But they also carry lots of other things. So they carry lots of bacterial pathogens. Uh, So pathogens are these disease-causing organisms that can make you sick. Um, One uh, that is quite common worldwide is something called Leptospira interrogans. It's a bacteria carried by rats, and it's actually shed in their urine. So uh, rats show no particular sign of being sick with uh, leptospira, but if you get it, you get flu-like symptoms. So they can carry lots of different things. They can give it to you through their urine. They can give it to the different things to you through their poop. They can give it to you through the fleas that live on them and bite you. So they're just like an amazing sponge or mixing bowl for for Mm -hmm. pathogens. So 
Dr. Hemsworth um, trapped rats in the downtown east side back in 2011, 2012, and found that rats carry a number of things here. Thankfully, no plague. Um, <laughs> if we start seeing rats dying in the streets, then we might be a little bit concerned about it. But uh, so they carry a number of pathogens. But what's interesting about those pathogens is they're actually clustered. So some city blocks have many rats that are affected or carrying these pathogens, whereas the block just across the street may have rats that aren't carrying them at all. So that's really interesting because it, it says a few things. Uh, one, your risk of coming into contact with a diseased rat is really based on what block you're in. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the number of rats, it's very location specific. Um, and then the other is, why is it that we have a clustering of pathogens? Could it be related to this thing, this rat ecology? So in this respect, I'm thinking about maybe movement patterns. So if rats don't move very much between blocks, they don't interact with each other between blocks and so they wouldn't be spreading disease. So I specifically came onto the project to look at what do those movement patterns of rats look like? Do they move between blocks? Um, can we link that to the, to the transmission or the prevalence or the number of rats that we see that are sick or carrying, not sick, but carrying these pathogens? Can we relate those movement patterns? And then what happens if we disrupt rats? Does it change movement patterns? Does it change how uh, the disease prevalence looks? Um, so that's mostly my question. Yeah. So just to kind of take a step back here and talking about, you know, by block, are we talking literally by like a block bordered by four streets? Yeah. So we're talking about okay. proper city blocks. So oh, wow. when we trap in city blocks, we trap in their alleys. So anything separated by major roadways, we'd be considering a new city block on the other okay. side of say a major roadway. Yeah. So that, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, you don't, fortunately you don't see a whole lot of rats crossing the street. <laughs> um, yeah. Where are these rats? Though? Yeah, so where, where, where do you find rats other than like when they're eating garbage? Like that's the only time I, get, I can imagine like seeing a rat. But where do they stay in the infrastructure of a city? So it sort of depends on where you are. But rats burrow or Norway rats do a lot of burrowing. And we have a lot of Norway rats here in the city. So um, they're burrowing. Uh, when you're thinking about backyards, you might actually see them in flower gardens. You might see little burrows and they're there under the soil. Um, in the downtown east side, you'll sometimes see or in a lot of cities, you'll see like next to phone posts, you might see a hole just like a small little hole going down into the cement. Uh, enough of crack like that could mean that rats are going in and out and they may have a den underneath there. Yeah. Uh, they may be in cracks in between buildings or they may be in the buildings themselves, say um, in houses, you sometimes find them in attics or in basements or in the walls. Um, so they can get into backyards, uh, sort of green space areas, but also into the proper infrastructure of mm -hmm. cities. And so what, why do, I mean, this might be a myth or a misconception, but like cleaner neighborhoods do, do cleaner neighborhoods have just as many rats as the like quote unquote like dirtier neighborhoods like the like if you're going downtown and like you're going to the you know more downtrodden areas are are there more rats there is it or is there more rats or is it just is equal it, equal level of rats everywhere what you're asking i think is is this a gentrification issue so that's so that's an interesting question and i think a lot of people assume that a, quote unquote the dirtier an area or the more resources available to a rat hmm. Like more garbage out on the streets and things like that, more exposed like food resources for like, the rats, I would assume would attract more rats. Right? Sure. So if you're if you're based off of resources alone, so the, let's let's move away from the idea of dirtiness, but yeah. let's move to rat populations need food and they need places to live. We call that harborage. So these mm -hmm. areas to burrow. So areas that have more resources, so food and harborage, we tend to find more rats. But to be able to answer a question that says, does one area of a city that's say gentrified or um, like a, a upper class versus lower class areas do you see differences in rat populations in order to answer those questions you actually need to have some sort of like systematic surveillance system to go out and count rats and yeah. count not just rats but signs of rats so you mm -hmm. can look for feces you can look for bite marks you can look for any indication that rats have been there and 
most places do not have this kind of surveillance program. So in Vancouver, we can't answer that question. We get asked okay. a lot, are there more rats in the downtown east side than there are, say, in Yale Town or uh, in Dunbar or whatever? And right. we don't have a surveillance system to be able to actually say anything mm -hmm. about where we have the most rats. So right. those are two of the more posh neighborhoods mm -hmm. in Vancouver. I think that, yeah, so my, my assumption would be that, like, going to the neighborhoods where there's larger real estate with houses, where they have larger, like, yards and things like that, there's less population as well because people are just, like, it's not as condensed yeah. and there's less resources for the rats to kind of take advantage of. But think about, think about what a resource is, because you, I think I in that context, we're thinking about like garbage, right? Food, yeah. And, yeah. but so, and so that's interesting too, because you can have restaurants, right? In mm -hmm. areas that uh, are making that food available True. to rats in the, in the, in the alleys. Um, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily linked to societal incomes, mm -hmm. um, but a backyard with a fruit tree, can be access to food for rats. So that's black rats tend to climb up um, on fences and along houses and they tend to be more quote unquote aerial, though imagining a black rat flying is not really <laughs> maybe in the strictest sense of the term aerial. Um, but they tend to be more of an issue in these areas where you have fruit trees that are made available um, to them. So they'll be up there feeding yeah. the fruit or even in your garden, right? If you've got tomato plants. Um, bird, bird feeders. Totally. I, I saw a rat climb up to my bird feeder. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I guess this goes back to what you're saying about sort of uh, rural farms lots of rats eating crops and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I guess, you know, dispel that myth, we don't need to have an urbanized area to have rats. Yeah, They're absolutely. Everywhere. Well, wouldn't it make more sense for the rats to kind of be in rural areas? Because there's all those, all the food resources there and there's like, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I, no I, can't, I can't Let's ask the rat, rat expert. Well, you certainly know. do have you do have rat issues uh, on farms and yeah. um, anywhere. Let's just so let's just tie it to where you've got food and you've got place for for rats to burrow and make a home. You're probably going to find some rats it's there. The beauty of having stray and outdoor cats. <laughs> okay, so stray and outdoor cats is interesting because yes, uh, cats will kill rats. They tend to kill some of the younger rats, mm -hmm. but um, there isn't a lot of research to suggest that cats actually do a good job of controlling rat populations. Really? Uh, there's a really interesting oh, paper no. that came out this year looking at cats um, and rats in urban settings and actually found that what happens is the rats just change when they're active so that they're <laughs> active when cats aren't active. Right. So um, how much of a dent cats actually make in rat populations is, is pretty unknown, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence that they're actually doing a good job of controlling them, at least in urban settings. Mm. What about dogs? I went, uh, my, my guess would have been birds. You go like owls, hawks, other thing, other birds attacking mice and rats. Oh, hey, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think in some areas you definitely would have um, some of those birds of prey taking care of some of the rat populations. But once again, if you're thinking about from a control standpoint, yeah. then you also run into issues, especially in urban settings where we're laying down pesticides where you can end yeah. up with, you know, secondary pesticide um, infections or uh, problems in the animals that eat rats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's head back towards this idea of blocks and sure. and movement mm -hmm. and transmission of pathogens. Mm -hmm. So what kind of what kind of patterns are, are emerging in the work that you're doing, or, or take us down your research line, I suppose. Yeah. So um, something that's very interesting about urban rats is, despite the fact that we live in close association with them, I mean they are in our backyards. Some of them are in our houses. They're all over the place. Um, we don't actually know that much about them mm. and their ecology, which they're, they're difficult to study, right? I mean, they're, they're burrowing, they're hard to catch, um, so they're, they're a bit hard to study. But uh, in a review paper that I did um, recently, I found that there's some variation in what we know about rat movement, but it does seem to be that in urban centers, they tend to stay about within the space of a city block, but they do move. And, and how much they move between blocks, we don't know. It seems that they move between blocks to mate with other rats. And you can think, yeah, that seems important because maybe you don't want to just be breeding with your brothers and sisters in the block that you're in. You actually want to have some genetic diversity, right? Yeah. Uh, decrease inbreeding. Mm -hmm. So um, they do seem to move in between blocks, but the extent to which they move is unclear. Um, so 
uh, in 2016, I did an eight-month mark recapture study. And um, so we, that involves actually catching rats, uh, putting them to sleep, giving them an ear tag, and then releasing them back to the place that they were and seeing where they move over time. And out of, you know, over a thousand recapture events, uh, we only saw like 13 instances of rats moving between blocks. Now. Permanently moving? Well, just moving at all. Just like any all. indication of moving. Now, it's tricky because in order to say that a rat has moved, you actually have to catch it again. And a lot of the time, you're not going to be recaching these animals. So. Correct. It seems like, on the whole, for the number of recapture events we have, the number of movements between blocks is minimal, but we can't. We have no absolute estimation of how much movement's actually happening. I'm hoping to get at that now. I'm doing a genetic analysis, and what's great about genetics is you don't actually have to track movement in real time. You can say, this rat is uh, the sibling or offspring of this rat over here in this other block, therefore movement must have happened at some point. Certainly, um, yeah. So yeah. there are other ways that we can get at this movement question as well. Fascinating. And currently, you're not able to GPS track a rat. Oh, I tried that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you to the Public Scholars Initiative for giving me some funds to put GPS tags on rats. Uh, it was wildly unsuccessful. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. all good science is in some way wildly unsuccessful. Yeah. What happened? Uh, we put GPS tags on 14 rats. Um, and of the rats that we recaught, we recaught three of them, which is about in line with regular recapture rates for rats so that wasn't particularly concerning uh, of the three that we recovered none of them had their tags on anymore but they didn't seem to have any ill effects of having the tags on them so there didn't seem to be a lot of weight loss of those rats there didn't seem to be any scarring but those tags within the two weeks or one week till i recaught them had been removed um so how are those tags put on? What's the, what's the tag? Like, how, what is the process of putting that tag on? Yeah, so uh, the, like? the tag attachment was using um, suturing and also a veterinary glue adhesive, so sort of a double, double approach mm. to affixing mm. the tags um, that minimize uh, discomfort for the rat. So all those protocols um, go through rigorous screening by the Animal Care Committee course, here at yeah. UBC. Um, but it was, it was quite interesting. And, and then on that front, so one we released two types of tags. So one type of tag, you actually had to physically recap recatch the rat and get that tag to download the data. But I invested in some swankier tags where you could actually <laughs> download that data um, from the tags remotely. And so flash forward to me walking through those alleys at six in the morning, trying to download data from these tags. Um, and our command unit was able to connect with the tags. So that means we were, there was some potential for that actually working, but there was no, uh, there were no location points on those GPS tags, which could mean that any time a tag took a reading, a rat was under a dumpster, and so you didn't get a location, or right. in a burrow, or for whatever reason, it just couldn't catch a reading. So uh, mm. it wasn't particularly successful for us. No, fair enough. And, you know, I think everybody thinks about GPS, and they think about their phone, and they're like, well, what do you mean you can't track? It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, go find the smallest place in the, like, tiniest little corner of your house and throw your phone deep into that hole, and then see if you can get a GPS reading. Like, mm -hmm. It's not going to be accurate. Um, and certainly if you're trying to track even blocks, mm -hmm. if you're trying to track small, where small changes in, in small location. changes in, in wow. location. I mean, as some of the work that I've been working on and, and one of my colleagues has been trying to think about how we could use GPS to track people's physical movement as it's really challenging just simply because to a large degree, unless you're getting really high end gear, it's nearly impossible to get accurate readings. So, yeah. Hey, fair enough. Good effort, though. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, A plus for effort. A plus That's for, for sure. Effort, yeah. A plus for idea. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, we'll, we'll put the uh, we'll put the failure on the uh, the people making the program and the, the GPS chips. That obviously were inadequate for. Ooh. What needs they to did a great job. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, oh. <laughs> I'm trying to find somebody yeah. to blame here. Yeah, Taylor. thank you. I appreciate oh, well, you. I appreciate you. Best. Blame the rats. Yeah. Okay, we'll blame the rats. No. They can't defend themselves. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so okay, so we we've kind of gone down this road now where we've said okay. 
here's some of the ways that we're going to be tracking them. What are you find, finding so far? Where where are your results kind of taking you? So, okay, so I would say that so far it looks like the movement data and the genetic data that we've been looking at can, or support this idea that rats don't move that much, and that could be why we see clustering of pathogens. So if they're right. not moving that much, there might be low levels of transmission between rats and different blocks, but maybe that's why we see the clustering. Something that is really interesting, though, is then what happens if you go in and you disrupt a rat population, right? Uh. So if they're they're normally stable and they're not moving that much, what happens if they're disrupted? And um, you hear stories sometimes about demolitions going in, and of course the rats are right. going to leave the area that's being demolished. Mm -hmm. And in those circumstances, you might have um, some potential to increase spread if those rats have pathogens. Um, so we actually got this idea originally from some work that's been done in the UK looking at tuberculosis in, uh, in cattle and badgers. So bovine tuberculosis is uh, an issue in cattle, and badgers are one of the carriers of bovine tuberculosis. It's this bacterial respiratory pathogen. So the basic idea was the cattle keep getting the tuberculosis, so let's go in and cull or kill the badgers, and we should see a decrease in tuberculosis now in cattle. Mm. And they actually saw that tuberculosis went up. And they thought that perhaps it's because you, by, by culling the badgers, you're causing them to change their movement, and they were ranging further and coming into contact with more cattle. Mm. So we thought, let's try that with rats. So uh, in 2016, we did our eight-month mark recapture study, and um, in some city blocks, we actually trapped and removed rats to simulate pest control. So we trapped and released rats for two weeks, and then for the next two weeks, in some blocks, we trapped and removed rats to simulate pest control, and then we went back about a month later and we trapped and released again to see if the number of diseased rats changed. And we found that, right, diseased is not the right term because they're carriers of this leptospira or sure. pathogen. They're not actually sick themselves. So uh, we found that in the blocks where we did the intervention, mm -hmm. the number of rats carrying leptospira interrogans went up. And so that was quite interesting. And we didn't see that happen in the surrounding blocks at all. It was just in the blocks where we did the intervention. So it seemed to suggest that by removing rats in those blocks, it changed maybe social behaviors, because we haven't seen too much additional movement of the rats. It could have changed social behavior such that maybe you remove a dominant rat and now there's fighting and biting that's going on to you know, get the new social hierarchy of rats and maybe that's causing this spread. So mm -hmm. what was interesting about that is it suggests that uh, human interventions like pest control can actually have unanticipated consequences that could actually increase risk, right? If you have more rats that have the pathogen after than before. So one question, I mean, from a phys physics perspective, you might suggest like, oh, well, you take out rats and now you have this sort of, here's a overpopulated region, underpopulated region. Mm -hmm. Could that be an explanation? People, they're just filling in to kind of rebalance the, yeah. the area? So that's what I, so that, that was actually originally my hypothesis. So my original hypothesis was if you take out rats, either the rats that are there are like, and run away to the surrounding blocks or the rats on the outside are like oh yum so much food and into into the low uh, population area um, but from our mark recapture data we haven't seen that the intervention resulted in rats from the outside moving in or the rats from the inside moving out now once again back to this idea that we can only say this thing like these things about the trappable rat population there are probably many many rats that we never trap because they don't go into traps so it could Smart still ones. be the, the, the very the wily ones <laughs> it could be that some of the rats from the outside uh that didn't have the pathogen went in and then got the pathogen um but we can't say we can't say for mm -hmm. certain well i i think you're highlighting something that you've highlighted throughout this episode is you're working with a population that's not exactly agreeable agreeable <laughs> i mean it's hard enough to get a human to come back into the lab to like retest for something yeah i couldn't imagine something that's kind of doing so unwillingly you know it's not a 
I, yeah. picture, I picture like all the bully rats just throwing the, the, the dweeb rat into the cage and be like, you're gone for a little while. Yeah. And, and have fun. The equivalent of stuffing him in the locker. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your turn. You go in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just daring each other, I suppose. Well, it is actually interesting. I mean, on that note, it's interesting to see the differences in the in rats going into traps. So we did a, a trap ability study. So. Um, once again, only the trappable population is anything we can say anything about, but we found that rats are more likely to enter the traps at the beginning of the study, and then that and then that trails off. So they could be becoming used to the trap and then not going in again. But the rats that are more likely to go back in the traps tend to be smaller, younger rats, and that could be because the larger dominant rats have more access to resources than the younger ones, so they might be more enticed by our peanut butter oat balls that are truly delicious <laughs> that are inside the traps. Um, but there does seem to be a difference there in, in which rats are going in. We had one rat, uh, Lazarus, um, which we named Lazarus because the first time we caught him, we thought he was dead. Um, he would go in the trap every single day. And it got to the point that he was in there so often trying to get out by rubbing his little nose at the bottom that he had this little star on the top of his nose. And I didn't even have to look at his tag anymore. I'm like, oh, that's Lazarus. And I was like, let him go. And the second we'd set that trap and walk away, we'd just hear clunk. And Lazarus would be back inside waiting for his uh, peanut butter. You gotta adopt Lazarus. Uh, he's, I just he's love special, Lazarus. He was really special. Yeah. <laughs> we did kind of adopt one rat at the very beginning. Um, so, but at the very beginning, we didn't quite know how to wrangle rats. I call it wrangling. So, mm-hmm. we would catch them in these traps, and we would reach in with these gloves, essentially raccoon handling gloves. So you reach in <laughs> and you grab them by the tail to put them into essentially what's a glorified Tupperware to to put them to sleep with uh, with um, isoflurane and. Um, we, yeah, we didn't quite know how to wrangle at the beginning, so we thought one person could wrangle, and that was not true. And we just drove around this mobile rat lab van uh, everywhere we went. So the first rat we ever caught uh, instantly escaped into the van um, and lived there for two weeks. His name was Harold. Um, <laughs> took us a while to get Harold back, and we released him to where we caught him the first time. <laughs> Amazing. That's yeah. marvelous. Yeah. Um, I got a follow-up question. So about this, about the, um, so the fact that these rats don't seem to be moving unless you're, you're like distributing them mm. they're coming in in these blocks whenever you have these like disease blocks that you said like you have a one block that's disease or carrying pathogens are you seeing that the humans that are in these blocks are actually getting sick more sick as well like is there a, a drastic difference in the ones that are getting sick that live in that block versus the ones that are literally a block away and might interact with that block a lot in their day-to-day so that's a, that's an interesting question so um dr hemsworth did do a study that i'm i'm not on with a, another researcher dr david mcveigh actually looking at uh do residents of the area where we're studying rats, so do residents of the downtown east side have any um, indication of being infected with these pathogens? And in particular, we looked at two. We looked at Leptospira, um, because we know people get it, um, and another one called Bartonella. So that's a bacteria transmitted uh, among rats and from rats to people by fleas. Um, So uh, actually looked at whether or not people showed signs of having these. And um, there was no evidence of Leptospira carriage by people. Um, And I think there was some low level of Bartonella positivity in people, but no particular links to the blocks themselves, because of course people move around a lot, yeah. right? So it'd be hard mm-hmm. to say. We're not like the, we're the rats living in those blocks, yeah. right? We don't stay in our own block. Yeah, we're yeah. far more, more far more mobile. And yeah, yeah, that would kind of make some sense. You're more social. Totally. And no looking at like, I don't think there was ever a part of the study where it was like, look at this block right here. Did you, do you spend a lot of time here? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, that's, we're concerned about that. How much time of your day do you spend in this block? Yeah. So, uh, but the, it was linked to certain activities. And I can't remember now what all of those activities were, but I think... Um, one of them was, what was one of the activities? I think that, uh, 
see it was more not the disease itself but it was or the pathogen itself but it was more like coming into contact with rats because that was a part of the survey right. you were more likely to come into contact with rats if you spent more time in alleyways for example um but i can't remember all the specifics yeah that's okay um Head over to brainbuzzpodcast.com, find this episode in the episodes tab, and at the bottom of that, in the references section, we will have that paper. You can look it up. Yep. That's great. Cool. So we're, what's we're like flying. Yeah, yeah, we're flying. That's yeah. doing really well. Um, so let's talk about the implications then. Because I, yeah. I, I I'm always thinking about how is this impacting humans, but is is the real reason that you're doing this work, is it more focused on the rats themselves, or is it more about the implications they have on humans? Yeah, I think um ultimately I would frame the the importance around informing effective pest control. So if we can understand rat ecology better, we can uh, do a better job of minimizing risks that rats pose to people. And those risks don't just have to be disease. It can also be damage to infrastructure or, you know, um, food spoilage, et cetera. Uh, but our current ways of dealing with rats are, are interesting. So um, most residents would have to undertake rat control efforts themselves, and they may be relying on store-bought baits or traps. And so by understanding rat ecology better, we're sort of pushing for this uh, approach that's more, um, instead of reactive approaches to rats, so I have a rat, now I'm just gonna put out bait and now the rat has died and whatever. Um, what are things that we can do that can minimize uh, rat impacts on the long term? And so that's more because we can see that presence of rats and, and movement of rats may be linked to resource availability. How do we decrease resource availability through time? And that then in turn involves investment from the city. It involves investment from pest control companies. It involves buy-in from, from residents who also want to um, be a part of that program. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces that would need to be kind of all mobilized together mm -hmm. in order to, to accomplish that. Yeah, that makes some sense. Um, going kind of back to the human interaction, what are what are some of the, the outcomes that you're seeing in terms of the work that you're doing for human beings? Like what is something that I could take away today and say, oh, I understand why this work is important for me as a human being, other than simply the pest control aspect. Right, so I think um, there, there's also a, an interesting aspect about the potential effects of living with rats. So, um, so through this eight month study, we worked closely with the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, and they've been a very strong supporter of the project since its inception um, in 2010. And from Speaking with individuals every day, uh, I learned that there were a lot of really amazing stories that people had of, of living with rats and, and having them um, in their environment. So uh, I did a study looking at potential mental health impacts of living with rats, um, because that's very understudied. To date, there's been really one study that sort of asked residents about where they view rat problems and how they feel about rats. Um, so I'd say one implication for people is that this work, uh, so I did 20 interviews um, with downtown Eastside residents about their experiences, uh, we found that rats do negatively impact people. So they uh, cite feelings of fear around rats, um, dislike, disgust, uh, thinking of rats as dirty, right? We've already talked about mm -hmm. the idea that rats might be in dirtier areas than others. Yeah. Um, feelings that seeing rats every day represents that people don't care about the community, right? Because nobody's mm -hmm. taking care of those rats. So, um, and, and impacts on sleep and um, very, very interesting um, on the whole. So I think not just this disease idea that we tend to focus on. So let's get rid of rats because they're the disease carriers or they can do damage to my house. They can also have mental impact, uh, mental health impacts for people. And I think that that's an important component also when we consider whether or not we should actually be doing something about a rat 
quote unquote problem in mm-hmm. our city. Certainly, and, and I, you're sort of touching on some of the social justice issues that you brought up, um, issues of marginalization. And I, I think that something like a rat, which has all these connotations, a lot of stigma associated, a lot with of it. a ton of stigma associated yeah. with it, is just simply amplifying these broader problems. And I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I uh, you know, this idea of okay, how are rats actually moving, and what happens if we can, or for lack of a better word, eradicate, <laughs> uh, eradicate them in one block. You know, is that actually going to make a meaningful difference to the well-being and health and mental well-being of residents in that block? And what would it do to the surrounding neighborhood, too? Right. And actually, so some of the genetic studies that have been coming out now show that, you know, even though rats mostly stick within one block, genetically, there's gene flow. So there, there's this evidence of movement across many blocks. So you can use genetics to... Um, describe what we call eradication units. So what is the effective area that we'd actually have to control? And it would be much larger than a city block. And so in the case of the downtown east side, if we want to actually be able to help uh, that area, we should be targeting a community instead of just a block or even what it mostly tends to be like uh, is just at a single residence, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, thinking about not only long-term proactive approaches to dealing with rats, but also the scale at which we actually consider those approaches. Fantastic. I think, uh, you know, a, a quick snapshot, a glimpse into the work that you're doing that I'm really appreciative that I, I got a chance to hear today. Um, I think with that, we should take a little bit of a break. Uh, we'll come back. We'll do a, a little brain break with you, ask you a couple questions. And then on the uh, on the outro, we'll get some mis- misconceptions and maybe a cool fact or two uh, to take away and chat about uh, with friends and family later on. Anyways, uh, we'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome to the Brain Break. Gailey, are you ready? I am so ready. I just had <laughs> some coffee. I feel great. Awesome. Great. We're not, uh, so we didn't actually address this. We're, we're trying to do different Brain Breaks now where we're not doing always rapid fire questions. We're just mixing it up. Because we're dog shit at making rapid fire questions. Oh, there were questions. rapid fire questions before? Yeah, we, we had rapid fire questions. And so we, we're starting to try and think of like more like slow pace, take it easy on the Brain Break. Yeah. I appreciate that because I feel like the rapid fire question thing would just like see my anxiety <laughs> like, oh. it, truly the reason we got rid of it was because drake was having anxiety coming up oh. with questions so it just it didn't work just like i, never I mean it was fun it. i had a good time i would never plan for the questions yeah. so so we, we're gonna go between those and, and just kind of we don't we'll have a name for the segment it's still brain break talking about a question or just asking stupid questions really so i'm gonna lead this off with a stupid question Please. go for it um what is the difference between a mouse and a rat uh, is it just size <laughs> Kaylee no, just gave the most no. perplexed look, like, how stupid. No, 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 I, not so stupid. No, not, they are, not, they are both true. rodents. They're both species of rodents, but they are um, they are different species and different genera. So we're going up the, the hierarchy of, mm-hmm. uh, of relatedness. So they are, they are both rodents. So they share similar traits, but definitely the size thing is different. Um, you, you can also find them, like, you can find them in overlapping environments. You can find them in different environments, but, like, ultimately different species okay and so i know we use a lot of mice or mouse models in psychology mm. so building off that question why aren't we using rat models do you know a lot about why we don't use rats is it just because that they don't carry our mice have more similarities with when it comes to carrying certain um diseases and they they mirror humans better do you know anything about that you actually use lots of rat models mm-hmm. so rat models are used 
a lot. Um, I don't. I have no idea what the proportion is for yeah. uh, for rats versus mice, but they're also also very common mm-hmm. models. And um, so, do you know why there's differences in that, or is it just a matter of pick a rat or a mouse doesn't matter? Oh, I think it depends on your system, right? Because like ultimately, you're not just we don't just use rats and mice as models. We use lots of different flies, right? We use flies for lots of um, genetic and evolution questions. So I think it's ultimately based off of your question and how similar you want that model to be to whatever system it is that you're working on. I've heard that people are generally more afraid of rats, probably because they're bigger, typically, but that mice are actually much, much meaner. Interesting. Um, I can I can say that from the interviews that I did with uh, people about their experiences living with rats, um, mm-hmm. something that did come up a number of times is that if uh, people didn't like mice, um, they they like they disliked rats more, and that seemed to be linked to the idea that mice were kind of playful um, and so less aggressive than rats. So. Uh, I, I don't know how all the species of mice compared to all the species of rats. I can tell you that within rats, like Norway rats are generally more aggressive than black rats, for example, which over time, black uh, Norway rats have sort of pushed black rats out of their range. Um, mm. And so Norway rats are, are quite aggressive, but I'm sure that there are some species of mice that are more aggressive than other species of mice, for example. But they tend to be cuter, I think, and they tend to be less imposing because they are, in fact, smaller. Yeah, yeah. Now... How many rats do you think you could fight at a time if you had to? Me physically? Yeah, you oh. physically. Well, I've at least done one at a time. Um, <laughs> that's it. How many would it take to defeat you? Yeah. Do I get armor of no. any kind? No, do you, do you bear, bear hands, no no items. Yeah. <laughs> no items, I'm sick of video game. Oh. <laughs> no weapons. <laughs> My apologies. You know, what's, you know what's funny is, um, remember the movie Ratatouille? Yeah. Yes. So they actually, there's a short uh, about actually facts about rats and they have a scene where they're talking about uh, their Canada doing a good job with rats, specifically Alberta, not having any rats. And they've got this goalie, um, in ca- a Canadian like hockey goalie, <laughs> standing in front of a goal, just like binging rats back and forth <laughs> with, with the hockey stick. Um, I honestly don't think I could defeat that many. I think I would be so terrified of their bite because it is so strong that I would immediately um, be like, you are my master now. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I got to hear a number. I'm I'm thinking. You need a number. Yeah, I want to hear a number. My thought is like 200 rats. Oh my God. I'm like 10, maybe 10. Yeah. I I could fight through 200 rats. (laughs) Have you? (laughs) I'm a soccer player. How big are these rats? You could not. What's that? How big are the rats? I mean, rats vary in size. If we're talking like. I'm talking full grown adult. Like one pound rat? Five pound rat. Okay. That's also, I don't know how much of a thing that is. Yeah. Like the biggest rat we ever caught was a pound. Okay. So that's. So my so assumption now you of can a do huge rat is like we're talking like Princess Bride, like in the in the woods. <laughs> I think one pound rats, one hundred percent. I could, I think two hundred pounds of a rat of rats, just one one pound each. I think you're insane. No yeah. way. I think maybe I'm two hundred pounds. I could take two hundred pounds of rats, no problem. Uh, no, you couldn't. Yes, one hundred percent. No. Anyways, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> side with you, Kaylee. I'm gonna say like I think probably like a dozen to fifteen would be a dozen. To I just 15 don't understand why ki- we have to be fighting. No. I guess that's my confusion. This <laughs> is like. You both have to It's a fight to the death You guys think 12 rats Will defeat you guys I'm telling you If they're coming at you at once Oh my god No way Yeah I don't know I Like think to the under- death I mean also This is illegal Whatever this situation is Is 100% illegal <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is yeah. A, this is 100% just like Hypothetical Hypothetical fodder You like could actually probably apocalypse. look up How many rats it takes To defeat say a terrier Right because terriers Are known for attacking rats mm. And they're in a lot of Those dog fighting I've had terriers My whole life And they're just fucking bad at catching rats really the, mine just have, yours mine have been just the worst oh. we live by we used to live by a park and so you know you get rats coming in going occasionally and the only the only rat my dog ever caught was one that was already on one of the one of the the uh 
the glue traps, mm. <laughs> which was great because then the glue trap is stuck in his beard and right it's like oh my god but also to everybody who's listening to this please don't use glue traps yeah we've <laughs> since not used yeah we learned after that yeah not for that reason but like glue traps are actually really awful so what yeah, traps what traps would you recommend for people that are dealing with mice or rats in their homes i'd say you should you should talk to like a a pest control professional because they'll know what's best for your home and they'll actually also be able to point out areas that are maybe um, accessible to rats that you wouldn't have considered but if you are strictly buying traps i would probably suggest snap traps Snapchats? Yeah, the glue traps can be really awful. The yeah. animals get stuck to them. They die slowly, and it's really uh, inhumane. Yeah, yes. for sure. Perfect. Get the old old fashioned Acme. Uh, yeah, Acme. Right? Anvil? Are you just gonna like start bringing up <laughs> anvils all over your place? <laughs> just traps like Home traps. Alone. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Says Mr. Two Hundred over there. I know. Yeah, right, that's what involved. Uh, no I'm problem. Imagining. Set yeah. it up. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> Intricate system of pulleys and levers all over the place. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you, Kaylee, for humoring us through that brain break. Uh, when we come back, we'll get some myths and misconceptions and a cool fact or two. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to the All Rats podcast. Uh, we've got uh, some non-rat experts here with you today. I'll just be bringing them back in here. Welcome back to the show, guys. Oh, thanks for having us. You've been a delight. We've really enjoyed the All Rats podcast is going strong. <laughs> we're rebranding. Yeah. All about rats from now on, here on yeah, forward. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're canceling all future episodes. Yeah. We've got a few that are coming out soon and we're just canceling. Yeah. They're never going to see the light of day. <laughs> Kaylee. Mm. You mentioned off the top something that we thought was kind of cool. Rats and Alberta. Right. What are we talking about? They don't coexist. Right. What's happening? So we we typically think of um, Alberta as being rat-free. So the idea that there are no rats in Alberta at all. And that's not true. When you say we typically, who is we? The world. I've never heard that in my life. You've never heard that? (laughs) Albertans say that. They're the only people who say that. It's just Albertans that must think this. Yesterday, I was giving a talk... um, it was a science communication talk, and I, I mentioned that I studied rats, and they said, there's none in Alberta. Really? Well, yeah. It's weird. I, I get that a lot. I mean, there Alberta has certainly branded itself as rat-free. Um, okay. And they do – so Alberta does tend to have fewer rats. It is a – it has a, a very – and I don't know all the components of it, but it has, like, a comprehensive rat control program. So they, they've been very active about rat control for a long time. Um, but there are rats. I have seen them. Uh, there are just many fewer Many fewer of them. And um, that can be for uh, several reasons. Also, I mean, cold temperatures can put a pressure on populations, especially young rats. You know, if you're born in minus 40 temperatures, (laughs) you may not be so likely to survive. Mm. What about the Yukon, Nunavut, Northwest Territories? Would those be rat-free? They don't brand themselves as rat free. Uh, this is a branding issue. It's yeah, it's, it's all about rat branding. <laughs> it's a marketing issue yeah. that we're dealing with yeah. here. I mean, they're on they're on the all continents, marketing. Um, except Antarctica. I think is really the the one that, that is. But I mean, they're like they're so in. What would happen if you introduced a male and a female rat to Antarctica? Do you would you think that they'd survive? Would they populate Antarctica with rats? Uh, I'd be surprised if um, a couple haven't haven't made their way at some point, but. Um, I guess it depends on where you're introducing them to. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like South Pole. Right. Yeah. Not at a research station, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah. Or like a, a down. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Cool. I'm not a rat breeding expert so yeah, much. Yeah, that's fair. 
I was I was gonna make a joke about you know how can Alberta claim to be rat free when you look at the Edmonton Oilers lineup, but oh, don't insult rats like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, got him twice. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's a hockey joke for all you you all you non hockey people out there. Anyways, great. So, <clears throat> Kaylee, do you have a cool fact for us today? Yeah, you know, I was thinking um I was thinking about a, a cool fact and one that I, I like a lot uh, is actually from my master's work. So my master's work was on um sexually antagonistic coevolution. So the basic idea that males want to mate all the time mm-hmm. and females are a little bit choosier about who they mate with. And and you see some cool um, examples in nature of females evolving certain traits so that it makes it more difficult for males to, to mate with them. And in my master's, I looked at the species of feather mite. So these tiny little eight-legged creatures that live on birds. Uh, and I looked at the species and um, the females have external genitalia. Uh, they're called truisardia. And they, um, we think, actually place their external genitalia inside of the male. So they're in, that could be their way of sort of controlling this mating. They also have these um, ridges on their backs and uh, males have these suckers that they use to hold on to the females. So we think that could also be another way that females sort of disrupt the ability of the suckers to hold on to them. Hmm. Sexually Whoa. antagonistic co-evolution. Uh, I actually wrote Dan, Sa- do you know Dan Savage? Yep. Yeah. yeah, so I actually wrote him in my master's. Uh, so he was talking about how kinky people are and I wrote this thing like, mm, invertebrates are kinkier. <laughs> and uh, he put it on his blog, which to this day is like the highest achievement of my master's. That's an insane achievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, love the Savage podcast. So great. Yeah. Kaylee, uh, how do people get in touch with you? They want to know more about rats. They're looking forward to this all rat content. Um, all the time. All the time. So uh, we've got a, a website, the VancouverRatProject.com. So you can head over there to see some of our research. And um, there's an email there that you can reach us at as well. VancouverRatProject at gmail.com. Very creative. <laughs> I know. Um, and uh, if you're interested in chatting with me or science communication in general, you can come on out to Nerd Night, which is an event that I run here in the city. It's like a, it's not just science communication, but essentially once a month we have three speakers come and uh, talk about something they're nerding about over a beer at the Fox Cabaret. Perfect. And uh, you can find me there monthly. Excellent. We're waiting on our invite for that. But I've invited you. Yeah, I, you have. You're actually. selectively forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've, I know you've invited <laughs> us. No, we'll, we'll, we definitely would love to uh, to make it out. That would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. and, and to all the Vancouver listeners, if they're interested. Yeah, yeah. If you're in town, and I know, um, I know you, we've talked about this before. There are other events uh, in your local city. So if you're not in Vancouver and you cannot attend Nerd Night, do not feel left out. Go find your local chapter of Nerd Night mm-hmm. or whatever it might be in your city and, and go make your voice heard and, and uh, represent the work in yourself and everything that yeah, just learn you love more. about science. Learn about science. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. yeah, like this last month I learned about orbital residence and uh, how to teach a robot to walk. Which was very cool. Cool. Yeah, I still don't know how to physically do it myself, oh. but I did learn that it is possible. Yeah, there you go. That was we're not a- talking about doing the robot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did actually look like in the beginning the robot itself was doing the robot, but yeah, no. Uh, very different. Okay, gotcha. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so very much, Kaylee, uh, for taking the time out of your day to join us. Uh, we've enjoyed. I've learned tons. I feel like you feel the same way, Drake. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah, kidding. like a thing or two. Yeah. A thing or two. No, I'm mean, about rats. And I didn't know the difference between mice and rats. So there you there go. go. I learned what ecology is. Oh. Um, yeah, a lot of things to know. Yeah. So, anyways, I think this has been a lot of fun. A, a nice, you know, deviation from the normal talking about the brain all the time. Uh, talk about different brains and different animals and doing different things. And that's cool. That's what science should be about. We should be learning from each other and learning all these uh, interesting things from one another. So thank I, you. Yeah. I also think that like it's it's another thing. This is like throughout this, I was thinking we are humans in 
a world of millions and billions of different like organisms and animals. Yeah. So we it's, we have to coexist with all these other animals, and the fact that we're not just talking about humans today, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Because we we do have to coexist. Rats are going to be part of life if you're in urban or rural areas, yeah. and you have to coexist, and that's what today's about more yeah, or less. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's in, in general important uh, on two fronts. I mean, one, rats are like people always ask me like why do we have these rat infestations and i generally kind of make a flippant remark of well look in a mirror um because the reason that there are rats is because of the resources we provide to them but yeah. i think thinking about other species in generally is um, particularly important as we're facing increases in extinction rates Absolutely. right and climate change issues so um humans are great sometimes but thinking about uh, us in the broader picture is yeah. so important yeah yeah uh, it's I, I, the purest example of my life right now is uh i killed a spider at my girlfriend's place and now there's a million fruit flies. <laughs> that fruit, that one spider was yeah. literally holding down the fort with all the fruit flies. <laughs> and now I regret every moment of it. Yeah. <laughs> you made a grave mistake. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed tagging along for this ride with us. Um, Kaylee, again, thank you. Uh, if you've enjoyed the episode, leave us a few stars wherever you found it, whether it be Spotify, uh, Apple Play, Google Music, Google Podcast, whatever that is. I've forgotten now. Um, Google Play. Google Play. Oh, did I say Apple, Apple Podcast? Oh, I mixed those Spotify. up. Damn it. And we're still on Stitcher. Yeah, by accident. I don't really know. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. Um, anyways, wherever you found it, leave us a star. Let us know what you thought. Uh, drop us a line at brainbuzzpodcast.com where you can get in touch with us. You can also find uh, all the information that we talked about today, including contact information for Kaylee under the episode or under the, uh, the guest tab. Um, as well as contact information uh, about some of the other projects ongoing that we'll have linked with this episode, along with references to everything that we talked about today. Some of the papers that you mentioned were really fascinating, so I think people might enjoy taking a quick peruse through them. Uh, so I guess with that, we'll call it an episode, and until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.